tonight for june 15th 2023 this is the program that we hope will be glorifying to god convicting the sinners and edifying to the saints a program with sincere questions and biblical answers thank you so much for watching or listening we're going to have hopefully a relatively quick but informative program tonight Uh, i am about to uh, leave go out of town for about a week and a half But I just got back from the 2023 Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in New Orleans, Louisiana, and wanted to give you my thoughts about what was going on as somebody who was uh, on the floor watching things happen and wanted to discuss, I I guess, the good and the bad, because there was some of both. We're going to be talking about that. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to our intrepid patron supporters who for only $5.95 a month can financially support Protestia and this show and all of the other things that we are doing to try to keep you well informed of what is going on out there in the Christian conversation from a biblical perspective. You can join us financially by going over to patreon.com forward slash Protestia. Joining for $5.95 a month, there are other tiers of support as well. $19.95 a month will get you uh, access to the Thursday night uh, Bulldogmatic Bible Study, which normally happens uh, every Thursday night at 6.30 Mountain Time. Uh, if you would like to join that Bible study in $19.95 a month, is a little uh, too much um, to uh, throw in for support. Let us know. We'll make sure you get to it anyway. Um, there are other tiers of support as well. You can also... Join the insurgency email list. Sign up for the insurgency email list on protestia.com. And for free, you'll get um, banned news links or news links and information that mainstream media really doesn't want you to see sent to you directly to your inbox three days a week. Um, very convenient. You don't have to go scouring all over the internet to find everything you need to know to be a well informed, um, Amer- especially American, but really just well-informed Christian as far as what's going on out there. Now for $7 a month, you can join the uh, the paid version and get the insurgency email list seven times a week. Uh, excuse me, six times a week, six times a week. They do not send it out on the Lord's day. Um, and if you, if you join us on Patreon, send me a message on Patreon. We'll make sure you get the six day a week version of the insurgency um, for free. That is a benefit for our patrons if they would like to get those emails, uh, th- those emails and those links sent to them. Now, before we get to uh, the topic, because I don't have a ton of time. Um, and by the way, there probably won't be a program next week. We'll see what we can do. Maybe an audio only version. I don't know. Um, uh, this is going to be sort of a one, uh, one and done uh, protesting tonight. Uh, no PTVIP because frankly, I forgot to send out a Patreon uh, Patreon message to ask for questions. However, I'm confident we're going to answer questions that you have here, especially if they are about the Southern Baptist convention before we get to kind of the, the, the postmortem, so to speak, the good, bad, ugly, and frankly, confusing and possibly a little weird from the meeting. The most important thing we're going to tell you, which is, is of course the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the purpose of this and every true Christian ministry. Um, polemics and discernment is 
discernment specifically is a gift of the Holy Spirit, which is given for the edification of the church to help us discern between what is right and wrong, what is biblical and unbiblical, what is true and untrue, what is Christ-like and godly and unchristlike and ungodly. And the the goal is, of course, with that to get to know God better, to know more about him. Um, polemics and discernment ministry is um, stridently evangelical because the Bible teaches us, Jesus said himself in Matthew 7, that there would be many who say to me on that last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do all sorts of good works and all these things? And he'll say, I didn't know. I, I never knew you. Get away from me, workers of lawlessness. That that demonstrates that there are those out there that believe that they're saved. They believe they're Christians. They think they know Jesus, and they really don't. How um, can we try to do work on their behalf for the glory of God to um, help them figure out that they don't know the real Jesus? That's the work of polemics and discernment. Because if you believe in a false Jesus, uh, there is no heaven for you. Instead, you remain under God's judgment and subject to eternal condemnation and punishment apart from God. And that is not, I'm confident, a place you want to be. And so the good news of the gospel is that God provided a way for you to be reconciled to him. You and me and every other, every other person born of Adam um, was born into sin. We were born with a sinful nature, rebels against God under condemnation, and yet God loved the world so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, earning righteousness on our behalf, and then he died in our place. Jesus died in our place, paid the penalty for our sins, and um, paid that price that we owed to the Father for um, what we have uh, done and, and, and what we deserve uh, as punishment for for um, rebelling against him, sinning against him. Jesus paid that price instead. Uh, the Bible teaches that if you place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, trust in him for your salvation, you can and will be saved. That's a biblical promise. Jesus died on that cross, was buried, and on the third day, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering death, proving his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. Um, he was seen by seen by um, hundreds, if not thousands of people, and then ascended to heaven. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf as our chief priest, as our intermediary, as our um, access to God. Um, that is a, it's a biblical promise. And if you have any questions about the gospel, uh, we, we'll drop everything to talk to you about that um, as much as we possibly can, you know, over the, over the internet and whatnot. Um, now on to, on to the news, um, again, the postmortem. So the Southern Baptist convention annual meeting in, um, New Orleans, Louisiana occurred, um, the actual meeting itself. And there are things that happen on Sunday and Monday, but Tuesday and Wednesday are when the actual business meeting takes place. It's important. And, and a lot of people have had to point this out, um, as we work through it. And, and I'm, I'll, I'll show you why this is important as we go through the convention speech from, um, uh, Todd Unziker, I believe that's how he pronounces it. We're going to go through that, but it's important to realize um, that this is a business meeting about how to conduct the missional parachurch ministry, the, the parachurch organization known as the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not a church. It's not a church. So when Southern Baptists come to the meeting to conduct the business of the convention, 
they're not church members with each other. And we, we understand that the Bible teaches the church as the ecclesiastical authority, as, as the ecclesiastical structure. The body of Christ is the local, the local congregation. That's where church discipline takes place. That's where um, discipleship takes place. That's where worship, corporate worship occurs. And yes, there's corporate worship at the, at the annual meeting. Um, there's certainly, hopefully, hopefully if, if, um, if all goes well, there can be edification there can be fellowship. There can be you know, a lot of the components that we would uh, expect to also be the beneficiaries of at church can take place. The meaning, but it's not a church in and of itself. It's a it's an organization, a parachurch organization for um, for you know co- collective missions, for collective uh, education, Christian education, and it is churches agreeing to basically partner with one another for a common mission. And because of that, because of that, there are going to be disagreements about doctrine, disagreements about practice, disagreements about, um, you know, how, how, uh, exactly what we believe and how we practice it as believers. And so how, well, how do we reconcile that? As we, as we know, you know, I'm a member of a Southern Baptist church. I was a messenger at the meeting. Um, and as we know, the, the, the cooperation of these churches is based off of mutual belief. And there, there obviously has to be a standard for that. And, and in Southern Baptist land, we call it the Baptist faith and message. The most recent, um, the most recent version of it being in the year 2000, uh, 23 years ago, the, um, if you ever see it on social media referred to as the BF and M 2000, that's what they're talking about. The Baptist faith and message, which is basically the convention, the organization's statement of faith, the organization's um, beliefs about Christian doctrine and practice. It's not, um, it's, it's not a kind of a long form confession, like the, the 1689, uh, London Baptist confession or the Westminster confession. It's not, it's not that involved, but it, it does set at least a minimum standard or at least a, a, a baseline standard of doctrine that is expected to be um, accepted and followed, obviously, by by people who work for the SBC that, or who work for an SBC seminary, or um, are are an employee of one of the in, of the organizations like the North American Mission Board or the International Mission Board. They're expected to um, believe and practice in accordance with the Baptist faith and message. That makes you know obvious sense. But also churches that that partner churches that um, are. Co-op, what they call cooperating churches with the convention, um, are uh, required, according to the language, to have a doctrine and practice which closely identifies with the Baptist faith and message. And that became really the hot button issue at this year's convention. Uh, for those of you that know how things went down, and, and basically there, there's a handful of things that happen within the business meeting itself. There are reports by the entities the different Southern Baptist entities, including the seminaries, including the mission boards, including like the ERLC, the lobbying arm, basically, um, uh, uh, Guidestone, which is uh, like the the uh, the financial planning and retirement um, uh, entity that uh, you know financially takes care of uh, pastors and ministers and things like that uh, as they as they move out of active ministry into retirement, uh, things like that. There are. Uh, New business that can come. There are resolutions where the 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 convention can vote to say something, proclaim something, say, "Hey, at 
in 2023, Southern Baptists say this. Uh, that would be a, a resolution. It's, they're not binding on churches or something. It's more like a statement of, hey, here's what we think and what we believe about such and such an issue here and now. Like there, were, there was a resolution about artificial intelligence. There was a resolution, a troublesome, I would argue, very troublesome resolution about immigration response um, that was passed at the meeting. Then there are um, uh, uh, recommendations that can be brought um, by to, to the uh, messengers to vote on there are what they call motions, which is where a messenger um, or I, I, I'm not sure an entity can make a motion, but at least you know a, a motion would be saying to the convention, hey, I think we should do blah, blah, blah. I think we should commission a task force to do yada, yada, yada. And then what happens is that motion is brought to the floor. The, the uh, uh, messengers vote on uh, whether to bring the motion before the convention to debate and talk about and, and consider. And if they, if they say yes, if they vote yes, then the motion is brought to debate at usually at a later time. Um, people can amend the motion. They can change it. They can, they, and, and the messengers vote on, yes, we accept that amendment. We, we accept this change or not. Um, this is all done in a limited time frame, And um, one of the, one of the business things that was done when it was the, and we, most of you saw about, saw this, uh, there were three, well, there, there were more than three, but, um, the credentials committee, which is a committee, um, of the Southern Baptist convention that determines whether a cooperating church is a cooperating church by, by the standard of, for instance, being closely identified with the Baptist faith and message in doctrine and practice, they can, de- the, the credentials committee determines, okay, this, this, this church over here is not practicing in accordance with what we believe. They make a recommendation to the executive committee, which is the committee that runs convention business outside of the two days a year where, where the convention meets and, and, and everybody does uh, all the business together, which is technically speaking, the only time the convention exists, but the executive committee is um, commissioned to run the business of the Southern Baptist convention while we're not all at the meeting. And so Back in, I want to say it was February, um, a few months ago, the Credentials Committee recommended that Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's Church, Fern Creek Church, and I believe it's Freedom Church, um, among others, there were others as well, but that they should be um, found to be not in friendly cooperation with the convention. With Fern Creek and Saddleback, it was because they had or they they had ordained uh, women pastors, and the Baptist Faith and Message. Um, very clearly says, I, I want to say it's article six, where it says that, um, that we believe that, uh, pa- the pastor it being a pastor is reserved only for biblically qualified men. <clears throat> men is qualified by scripture as I think how it says it. Um, and so, but in the bylaws of the, of the Southern Baptist convention, a disfellowshipped church, first of all, the credentials committee makes this recommendation to the executive committee, the executive committee in these cases upheld the, you know, they, they um, acted on the recommendation of the credentials committee and found these churches to not be in friendly cooperation, which may, more or less it means you're kicked out of the SBC, which I always find funny because it's, it's, it's the churches receive um, much less benefit, obviously, coming their way than they tend to, you know, as far as their giving to the SBC through the cooperative program or directly to entities. Um, the money's usually going one way. So it's kind of like the SBC is, say, is saying, we're, we're disallowing you from sending us your money. <laughs> I always find a little bit funny. Um, but anyway, so these three churches are disfellowshipped 
from the SBC. There were a few other churches as well who didn't appeal, but part, the bylaws allow these churches to appeal the decision. Okay, so the so the these churches have opt to appeal the decision um, made by the executive committee to find them not in friendly cooperation, basically disfellowshipping them from the convention. And this has these appeals um, are presented to the gathered convention. So all the messengers there, they hear three minutes from a representative of the disfellowships church. And then three minutes from the executive committee or a representative chosen by the executive committee to argue why their decision should stand. And the messengers voted overwhelmingly in all three cases to, to uphold the disfellowship of Fern Creek church. First of all, so Fern Creek church, um, unapologetically has a woman pastor. Apparently she's been a pastor pastor there for, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 years, something long time, long time. She gets up there and starts making the case. And as we're sitting there in the convention hall, you can, you can feel the groans. You can feel the, the views of the attendees of the messengers there, uh, very much against what they were seeing. It was almost like they had a visceral reaction to this, uh, to, to, to the woman, uh, at Fern Creek making the case for why she should be a pastor. Um, she argued that she was more conservative than, than, uh, you know, a lot of other SBC churches, you know, would be, would be much more conservative than a lot of SBC churches, which I would argue you don't understand what conservative means theologically is being a theological conservative entails, uh, first and foremost, believing in, 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 and acting upon the inerrancy of scripture and a, a hermeneutic of literal interpretation of scripture. Those, these are parts of being a theological conservative. So automatically, if she ignores first Timothy two twelve, if she ignores, you know, the, the gathered understanding in the new Testament, restricting pastor, elder, um, you know, bishop, overseer to men, she has, she does not have a conservative view of scripture. She has a liberal view of scripture. She is not um, taking it at face value and putting it into practice. She's reading it in face value and then deciding that it means something other than what it very clearly says. That's not a conservative position. So the, the messengers groaning and, and I mean, you could tell this was not going to go well. Now the, the committee on order of business, which is the committee that determines how the convention is going to be conducted. The business is going to, to, to happen. I mean, they, they're, they're in charge of deciding how, like how many mics to put out, how we're going to, you know, kind of make things happen and whatnot. They, they had already determined that it would be a, a ballot vote. So every messenger at the convention has, has a little book of ballots. And normally if, if it's just kind of a more, a more basic thing or, or it can be made clear, um, the chair, uh, which is usually the SBC president in this case, Bart Barber will, um, call, call a question or, or ask the convention yes or no on something. Um, and you'll raise your ballot. He'll say, you know, you know, um, raise your ballot. If you're yes, raise your ballot. If you're no, and they'll just sort of look around and, and try to determine the ballots are like neon yellow. And so they just try to determine, okay, there were a lot of ballots for yes and like two for no. So the yeses have it or whatever that is. But, but if it's close, if it's real close, if it looks like it's 50, 50, or in this case, if it's something that is you know relatively important and controversial, they do a ballot vote. So you, you tear off one of the little ballots and you mark on the ballot, what you want, pass them down, they collect them and then they count them. That's what they do for the, 
the presidential election, the, the first and second VP, um, you know, some of these, the, these, uh, higher, uh, office elections, they always do a ballot vote. But in this case, the, the, um, committee on order of business, I think it was, that's who determined this said, this is going to be a ballot vote. So everybody passes in their ballots on Fern Creek. Then they pass in their ballots on freedom church, which, which was the next one. Freedom church was, um, disfellowshipped on the basis of not being in accordance with the convention's uh, beliefs and practices on the issue of sex abuse. This one I thought was really controversial because it, it seemed like um, we, the, the convention itself was not presented with evidence of this per se. Now the evidence, wh- whether a church um, is ordaining women pastors is pretty obvious. They either are, or they aren't. And like Fern Church was unapologetically doing this. Saddleback's unapologetically doing this. The evidence is very clear. But in the case of Freedom Church, it was very confusing um, without evidence to say, you know, because there, there were the, the gentleman that was arguing to uh, arguing the appeal for his church said, hey, you know, we, this pastor is not even here. Um, you know, we you know, there were people around us in the convention hall sitting in front of us that said, yeah, we know that they, um, that they fired that guy or something like that. He's, you know, that, that kind of thing. And yet the church was still being held to account for this. I don't know the details enough, but that one was a little sketchy. We just didn't know. Um, and yet the convention overwhelmingly voted to uphold that, uh, disfellowshipping. Then, uh, for Saddleback, of course, Rick Warren gets up there and basically makes a, makes a case for, egalitarianism saying, Hey, we, you know, we, we, we have a convention that has Arminians and Calvinists in it and this and that. And, and these are essential parts of, of, of salvation and we still disagree. So why can't we disagree about women pastors and, and, and why can't we still have egalitarians in the convention? Now, I, I think a lot of the messengers, because there are a lot of people that go to the meeting every single year, that's like part of their schedule. They, you know, they, they sort of make a thing out of it. They, they love Southern Baptist life. I mean, they're, they're really committed to it. Um, they remember last year, they remember last year when Rick Warren, uh, got, got the floor for five or six minutes at Anaheim and basically insulted everyone to their face. Rick Warren looked around and basically said, um, yeah, we've trained a bajillion, gajillion, bajillion pastors. And that's way more than the seminary. Sorry, folks, but we've trained way more pastors than the Southern Baptist seminaries have. Like, do you know how insulting that is? Like he didn't even realize it. Rick Warren, he, He's such a narcissist. He doesn't even see how it comes across. And so, yeah, he gets up to defend this again after weeks online, weeks online, trying to make uh, the case why this isn't such a big deal and making the case for, well, it's, we're supposed to be about common mission and not about common confession as if somehow Christian mission exists without confession, that we can somehow act for Christ without believing specific things about Christ, specific things about, um, what the word teaches, what the Bible teaches about what we're supposed to be doing. We can just go do it anyway. Doesn't, doesn't make any difference. So very, very, um, insulting. So, but he gets up, tries to defend this again. The messengers overwhelmingly rejected this and voted to uphold the, the decision of the credentials committee and the executive committee. And so, I mean, that, that was a, you know, a, a, a point of, um, you know, something good that had happened in the convention. Um, and, and basically it was about 90% for, for Fern Creek and Saddleback, it was roughly 90% upheld. 10% said, no, let him back in, you know, 
so that's a little disturbing. But if 90% of the, the convention messengers are saying, no, we, we don't want women pastors. Um, the convention also voted uh, to amend the constitution, the SBC constitution to include language strengthening the convention's belief about male only pastors um, amended the, the Baptist faith and message itself to include the words, I believe it was include elder and bishop or elder and overseer. It's one of the two, along with the word pastor in, in article six saying that uh, the pa- the role in the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. So that's good because now we're, we're making it very clear that these terms are synonymous. You can't separate the terms. You can't separate the term pastor from the office that we refer to using that term. That's a good thing. That's going to make it, that's basically a, a um, rebuke of the Saddleback Rick Warren um, gambit where hey, we're going to separate the office from the gifting of pastor. Um, so that was a good thing. Uh, so, so what we saw is a c- convention that was overwhelmingly speaking in unity against um, uh, pastoral egalitarianism. So that was a good thing. And yet there were, there were signs of, of weakness. Bart Barber from the podium lectured the convention about how, well, you know, whatever happens with his vote, you know, he didn't understand. He, he, he didn't know the vote, but he knew, I mean, he didn't, he may not have known it literally, but he saw what the rest of us saw. He saw that the, the convention floor was not responding well to either Rick Warren or the, the lady from Fern Creek. Um, so I think he, he knew it was coming. And so he, he lectures the convention. He lectures the, you know, I don't know, nine to 10,000 people that were in there at that point that no matter what happens with this vote, we shouldn't cheer. We shouldn't, we shouldn't applaud. Um, we should, you know, when we're breaking fellowship with these churches, which I would argue we're not breaking fellowship with them. They broke fellowship with us because they decided to, to practice, um, something other than, uh, what the common uh, confession, the statement of faith says. They're the ones that broke fellowship. The rest of us didn't. So, um, but he said, hey, if we're going to break fellowship, it should be in tears. This was like a, th- this was repeated over and over. Todd uh, Unziger in his uh, convention sp- uh, speech said that I'm not going to call it a sermon. I know some people are calling it a sermon, but if you listen to it, and we are, by the way, we're going to go through some of it. It was not a sermon. The man was not ex. I mean, he, he did talk about revelation a little bit, but he was basically just off the cuff, um, opinionating about people, opinionating about the convention, opinionating about what he thought about things. It was certainly not a sermon. Um, but this was a common theme. We should be, uh, not celebrating these disfellowships. Uh, we should, it should be in tears. If we have to break fellowship, we should be really sad about it. And like, okay, we're, we're sad about the fact that these other churches and um, professing Christians are not following the clear word of God. Yeah, we're, we're not happy about that. It's not a good thing. But at the same time, we do celebrate and we do stand on the infallibility of the word of God. We celebrate the truth in God's word. And so it's, it's not, um, on, on the one hand, yeah, we're, we're sad that these, that these folks we're talking about can't obey God. They refuse. They refuse to follow the clear teaching of scripture. Yeah we're, yeah, we're sad about that. It's not, it's not good. But at the same time, we are happy. We would not have voted to uphold the decision made by the credentials committee and the executive committee 
if we weren't standing on the truth of God's word, which is um, a celebration to an extent. You know, when we, we sit there and say, this is what God's word teaches, and those that, that believe otherwise and practice otherwise in opposition to what God's word teaches um, are facing the consequences for that. Uh, we're not upset about that. You know, not, not in the sense that we, um, that we uphold and respect and celebrate the truth of God's word. So I, I found that to be, um, virtue signaling. I found that to be virtue signaling. Um, almost, almost as if the people that said it, whether it was Bart Barber or Todd Unziker or whoever, were basically saying like, I, I don't have any opinion on this. I don't have any view on this, you know? Like it could go either way and I'd be just fine. That's, that's what they were seeming to, to say. Um, now one of, one of the most troubling things that happened during the, um, the convention, one of the, and this was snuck in, these guys, these guys are really good about doing this. Uh, James Merritt stands up, uh, at the microphone and I think it was like some other, former SBC presidents, Steve Gaines and, and JD Greer and Ed Litton are all standing up there as he, and, and by the way, this was after the disfellowships were upheld. He gets behind the mic and and offers a motion and the motion we have it pulled up here. Um, he said, um, uh, I move the convention authorized that the SBC president appoint a broadly representative task force from across our convention to study the issue of how this convention should deem churches to be in friendly cooperation on questions of faith and practice as laid out in article 3.1 of the constitution referencing our adopted statement of faith and to bring back recommendations to the 2024 meeting in uh, Indianapolis for how we can move forward together in biblical fidelity, missional clarity and cooperative unity. So this is um, brought as a motion and was the messengers. And I, I mean, I can't really explain why they didn't see exactly what this was, but they vote to say, okay, we, you know, yeah, we, we'll, 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 we'll allow that motion to uh, be discussed. And then of course, what happens is um, later on when the motion is being discussed, first of all, the microphones cut out again, delaying the whole process leaving very little time to actually debate this. Um, and then they basically left no time at all. Those of us that wanted to argue against it um, were told, no, we can't argue against it. We're out of time. And it, and it, you know, it, it passes before we can even have a discussion. And this, this motion from James Merritt would not have existed had the convention not voted to uphold the disfellowshipping of these churches. This is the platform. This is the institutionalists um, basically telling the messengers, you guys all got it wrong. You got it wrong. You screwed up. You didn't do um, what you should have done, which is basically have as wide of a doctrinal net as possible for cooperating churches. We want everybody to be in the convention, no matter what they believe, no matter how they practice, no matter what they do. That's, that's important. Um, and and basically signaling to to us the the institutional SBC, this is the institutional SBC is not in agreement with the ninety percent of messengers that can plainly read scripture, know what it know what it says, and then put it into practice. 
These guys are like, nah, you, you guys aren't, you, you're not quite smart enough to figure this out. You, you're not like us where you can understand the nuance and, and really how, how broadly we can, we can um, uh, act as a convention. I mean, we can set aside the base, the, the plain teaching of the word of God on this issue um, and, and, and sort of figure out a third way or a different way. That's, that's what we saw here. Um, and, and unfortunately there was, uh, shenanigans, uh, to, to sneak this through. So here's the problem with it is Bart Barber is a reliable, reliable gopher for the platform. He, I mean, for years and years and years, this is part of the reason he's the SBC president now is it was his turn and he reliably does whatever the platform institutionalized um, SBC swamp, if I could call it that, he reliably does what they want. So now, now the convention itself has decided that Bart Barber is going to appoint a broadly representative task force to do what? Well, to restudy what we all just um, basically spoke in unity against. We very clearly said, if you have women pastors, you are not in friendly cooperation. That's very clear. You don't, you, you don't have a, a belief and practice that closely identifies with our statement of faith because the statement of faith says you can't have women pastors. Pastors are men as qualified by scripture. It's, it's very simple. The whole congregate, the whole, the whole convention, excuse me, got it. 90% got it. Voted um, to uphold the decision of the, the executive committee. And then along comes this little sneaky parliamentary move by platform SBCers to sneak this in. So we said, we know what you all said. We know messengers. You said this, that women can't be pastors. You said this very clearly, but we know better than you. And so we're going to put together a task force that Bart Barber gets to, he gets to fill it with whoever he wants that is going to basically be given a special opportunity, special opportunity to next year tell you about why you're wrong and why, why you shouldn't be arguing over such things and why it should just be about Jesus and forget about doctrine. Um, now, now they have the opportunity to do that. And nowhere was this made more clear than in the convention speech by uh, J.D. Greer's pal, Todd Unziker. Who's, he is a uh, North Carolina guy, uh, Summit Church guy, he, uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary guy. And by the way, I mean, I'm not going to be able to get to everything that happened uh, in the meeting. That's going to, you know, I mean, we're going to continue to talk about it and, and we're going to get into some of the other issues, but I wanted to go to the convention speech because I think it really, it really made clear. And I, what I've done is I've, I've cut some clips from it that I wanted you to hear specifically, but it really made clear this divide between the messengers and, and, um, and the, the divide between the messengers and the platform and the institutionalists that are able to control a lot of the SBC. And it, it's funny to me because I noticed as there were guys that got up to make motions and guys that got up to offer amendments and guys that got up to, you know, points of order and all these kind of things that, that they were really, I could tell by what they were trying to say or what they were trying to put out that their, their hearts were in the right place. Their doctrine was in the right place. They understood the right and wrong of the issue, but, a, they were not as sophisticated in terms of they 
the parliamentarianism of the whole thing, how to how to work the mics and how to how to present things and how to work Robert's rules of order and all this. They weren't that they weren't quite as sophisticated at that. But also because and here's the ironic part. Here's the paradox because there were so many messengers there that were theologically conservative and wanted to get across good points and ask good questions and hold and hold institutions accountable because there was so much of that, but they weren't quite as good um, at operating the, the procedures in the system. It spent a lot of time and energy from messengers who they weren't necessarily on one side of, or the other of something and they could be convinced either way. But they they were not down. I mean, it's a these are two long days, and so they weren't really feeling the. You know, someone gets up and offers a motion or something, and it's not it's out of order or it's not, um, it's not explained well or they can't they can't understand it quickly. That tended to turn off messengers, and then on the other side, you have the platform SBCers who've been doing this their whole life. They're the SBC um, from coming out of their mother's womb. They know how all of this works. They work this every single year. I mean, last year you had J.D. Greer texting the platform to make sure they knew he was at a microphone so he could get recognized. Right? This, this is how the, how the swamp works the procedures in the convention itself. It's not a coincidence that when um, there were controversial issues that looked to be advantageous for conservatives, Bart Barber slow rolled everything and we're going to make jokes and we're going to run things slowly. And I, I got to go back to the parliamentarian to figure this out. And he knew exactly what he was doing. Bart Barber knew exactly when to drag his feet to make sure that um, a controversial issue, something where conservatives could quite possibly have been able to explain to the messengers why they should vote no or why they should vote um, one way or another he knew how to drag his feet to make sure that didn't happen. The merit motion was, I mean, you know, some of you might've seen me. I'll try to get up to the mic and argue against the merit motion. And he said, Oh, we're out of time now. We're out of time. We can't argue anymore, which was, you know, it was just a way to sneak it through. I mean, the, the messengers like on, on the surface, this motion, like, like it looks decent. It looks like some, okay. Yeah, we should study this. We should study everything. But clearly, this is a this is a specifically a rebuke of the conservative messengers that said we don't want women pastors. We know what the Bible teaches. We don't want that. James Merritt's like, you know what? I know better than you. And by the way, in case you don't think I know better than you, I got J.D. Greer behind me and Ed Litton behind me, and I got all these bigwigs. They're SBC presidents. They're pastors. They know better than you. The plebes in the seats, you know, the the the, the regular pewters. We know better than you. Um. That's what was going on. And now you got Bart Barber who is, will, will dance to the tune of any of those guys up there. And Bart Barber will do whatever James Merritt and J.D. Greer and Ed Litton and Steve Gaines and whoever wants. He'll do whatever they want him to do. So you can bet, you can bet, you can take this to the bank. That task force, this broadly representative task force is going to be full of SBC voices progressives. Yes, I call them progressives. They'll claim they're conservative. They're not. Um, that, that will be the task force. Um, and at no more point during the, um, during the convention was it made more clear what the platformers and the SBC institutionalists think of pew sitters like you and me than Todd Unzicker's SBC, his, his convention speech. I'm going to pull up, so we're going to walk through this a little bit with the, with the time we have left. 
And um, again, I mean, there's, there, there's other stuff that happened. There's resolutions that were, um, that were nonsense. The, the wins for the conservative, by the way, before I get through this, the wins for the conservatives were certainly uh, upholding the disfellowshipping of uh, Fern Creek and Saddleback. The, the amendment to the constitution, which by the way, has to pass two years in a row. So that's got to be voted. The, the Mike law amendment um, has to be voted in the affirmative two years in a row by two, a two thirds majority. Um, the amendment to the language, or, or excuse me, the, the change in the language of the SBC, um, the, the, the Baptist faith and message to include um, overseer and, and elder along with pastor. I think that's what it was. That's a good thing. Good thing for sure. Um, obviously Mike Stone not winning the presidency was, was a bad thing, but it, it's, I think people were really a, they were frowning on the fact that um, it's, we were, we were going against tradition. The tradition is two years for, for an SBC president and Bart Barber and his, his mannerisms and just the way he is fools a lot of uninitiated Southern Baptists into thinking he's conservative. I mean, how, how can you, you look and sound and act like Bart Barber and not be a conservative? I mean, so a, a lot of people that, I mean, you had people that were voting overwhelmingly against women pastors over, overwhelmingly voting for, um, biblical fidelity and yet continuing to vote for Bart Barber who um, has come down on especially most egregiously the wrong side of abortion where he says hey, you know women that choose to get abortions shouldn't be punished for those those they shouldn't be held legally responsible which is a total a total violation of equal protection which is a biblical just uh, a value of biblical justice he's totally wrong about that um you know, egregiously so, and to the point where he won't even be truthful about things like um, ectopic pregnancies and whatnot. We've been over this before. You can go to go to Protesti and search for uh, Bart Barber to see what he said about these things. But regular, a lot of regular messengers don't understand that. They they feel like he did a good job as as the as the the chair and a good job conducting the business. I I I disagree. I thought it was slow and inefficient. And he's, he had to go back and check things over and over and over. And it just so, I mean, microphones failing, which I guess we would say maybe is not his fault. Um, but they seem to fail at really opportune times for the platform and really inconvenient times for messengers um, trying to uh, argue uh, for, mo- you know, against and for motions and amendments. But again, he, I mean, he dragged his feet at the exact, at the exact right times. Uh, sped up things the exact right times, uh, kept everybody um, entertained uh, with with kind of his shtick and kept everybody entertained and off balance and and really not focused on what was going on as a way to sort of soften them up and get them to do, um, to, to go along. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't believe, it was hard for me to believe that the messengers overwhelmingly voted against women pastors and then turned right around, <clears throat> turned right around and voted in the affirmative to have a task force look at the exact issue we had just spoken about. And I know it doesn't look like that. That's what it is. That's what it is. This is James, James Merritt and the, the other platform elites telling the messengers, you are all uh, stupid for um, voting this way. Um, you really shouldn't disfellowship anybody. That's not something we should do. So we're going to have a task force to lecture you, to lecture you about why you're wrong and why you're stupid about this. That's exactly what's going on. Um, now on to Todd Unziker's um, speech here at the convention. Uh, we'll see if we can get this to go. Or are we going to consistently fight 
and quarrel. So, so he sits, and this is a pretty long uh, speech. I've just clipped about five minutes worth of stuff. And, um, but it, it was notable because of how, how judgmental it really was. It was a super judgmental speech. Um, accusing people ad hominem accusations against people ad hominem accusations against certain behaviors and things. So he, he said, well, we're, we're quarreling too much right now. I'm going to get a little bit larger. Here you go. Are we going to give weight to people in this convention who give nothing? Whoa. Automatically red flag. When I was listening to this, that's the first thing I heard that was like, well, well, hang on a second. Who in this, who in this convention is giving nothing? Giving nothing? No, no, there's, there's tithe money, contributions to churches being given to the convention. That's why they have messengers here. So are, are, are there folks he's talking about um, somehow in the convention and yet giving nothing? Well, he clarifies. He, he clarifies the, the kind of person he's talking about. Now, of course, he's not mentioning anybody specifically. He's not even really mentioning a specific behavior just yet. He's just saying, they give nothing. Well, what is this? This is an ad hominem attack. This is pointing the finger at unnamed people, smearing people, apparently, um, on really on, on the basis of uh, no content. Are we going to give weight to people in this convention who tweet more than they tithe? They tweet more than they tithe. Okay. Tweeting is like, you know, typing characters on a phone, typing characters in your computer or something. And tithing is giving money, contributing money, giving to your church for the work of the kingdom. Um, they're not comparative, dude. I mean, that's apples and oranges. So why, why would you use such a ridiculous, broad, and illogical comparative here? It's to smear people who tweet about theology, tweet about um, apparently denominational issues, tweet about uh, disagreements about about biblical matters or Christian practice or whatever. So, like, apparently that's a bad thing. Now, of course, Todd himself tweets. He's been on Twitter for a few years, you know, 10,000 10, tweets or something like that. So, so would we say he tweets more than he ties? Well, no, that's stupid. They're not even the same. That's like saying, do you eat more than you run? Not, not the same thing. Who post more than they pray? Who post more than they pray. Again, another ad hominem attack against people discussing things on social media. And the reason that platformers, the reason that institutionally connected and entrenched people like Todd and his, and you know, his friend J.D. Greer and, and, um, you know, Danny Aiken, the folks at Southeastern, whoever it is in his camp, but you could, you could really apply this across the convention. The reason why they are leveling in, I say they specifically Todd here, leveling ad hominem attacks against people, I guess, like me and like you and, and those of us engaged in these issues online are because they can't control it. They're at the meeting, the annual meeting basically being able to exercise a good amount of control over what's going on, but they can't control us here. They can't control protesting tonight. They can't control what you decide to say on social media or 
um, what you decide to tweet out or what you decide to like or, or follow. They can't control, they can't control the conversation and they want to control the conversation. That's, that's why the ad hominem attacks against people who are engaged online on these issues. And the assumption, I mean, the, the assumption is, well, if you, if you tweet too much, if you're on social media too much, well, you must not tithe. You must not pray. You must, you, you must not actually, uh, you, you must not be obedient to God because you're, you're, you're too busy online, I think. Never mind that the SBC president himself, Bart Barber, is a self-admitted Twitter addict. And I know that's, that's tongue-in-cheek. I don't think he's saying he's literally addicted to it the way somebody would be addicted to um, you know, gambling or something like that. Um, but he tweets a lot. A lot. Enough, enough that he had to announce today that he, um, mourning, the, mourning the death of his mother and you know, I'm sure tired from all the convention stuff, was going to be stepping back from Twitter for a couple weeks. He, he needed to announce that because his absence would have been known. It would have been felt. Um, he tweets a lot. And so all of a sudden seeing no tweets, people would have been concerned. So is, is Bart Barber, one of those, one of these folks, uh, Todd, that you're talking about who, um, tweets more than they tithe posts more than they praise that you're talking about who raise objections to reforms instead of raising protections for the vulnerable. Another ad hominem, the assumption here being every reform every change of something, everything we're going to do is automatic. I mean, as long as we can characterize it about being about protecting um, abuse survivors, about protecting the vulnerable, whatever, whatever, as long as we can characterize it that way, you are duty bound, morally obligated to support it, morally obligated to support what that is. According to Todd's logic, you can hear it again. Instead of raising protections for the vulnerable. So forms you, you raise objections to reforms instead of protections for the vulnerable. Again, not th those, two, those are different things. You do, do you, I mean, you honestly say that there hasn't been uh, sin committed potentially against people in the, in the abuse reforms. I mean, we heard from a messenger. We heard from a messenger that came up, uh, to the mic and said, our church's name was dragged through the media and all this based off of some guy that volunteered here years ago that committed his, his, uh, you know, criminal acts, his abuse and things when he was not involved with our church whatsoever, but because he was on the rolls or a volunteer at some point, um, we got smeared with that and people and, and people refused to come to our church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because the process of credibly accused and the process of, um, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon abuser was levied against their church. Um, so yeah, that reform was bad. And so we would raise an objection to something like that. And we should, it's not okay to sin against people in your pursuit of, of supposed justice for the abused. Instead of raising protections for the vulnerable. Are we going to be a people who sue the saints or are we going to be a people who sow seeds of the gospel? Sue the saints. <clears throat> that's, that, that's a direct uh, attack against Mike Stone, who for a little bit was, uh, had, he had filed a lawsuit against Russell Moore for defamation. A valid lawsuit, because if you, if you listen to Russell Moore and his false gospel, there's no reason to accept him as a brother. Um, Mike Stone did not need to he did not need to interact with Russell Moore as a brother in Christ in, in my view. 
Um, and so he wasn't suing the saints. He was suing an unbeliever um, who had slandered him and had, you know, um, sinned against him. But this is, this is, this is poking at Mike Stone. Um, and for those of you that don't know, you can, again, you can look that up on protest. If you look for Mike Stone, you'll find the, find the articles. If you need to catch up about what, what that was about. Are we going to be a people who are going to listen to the spirit of fear? So he's now characterized uh, those who sue the saints, those who uh, object to um, reform, who, who would say, hey, we'll slow, slow down. Maybe this isn't the best way to do this. This is, this is not a good way to do this. And a lot of us have. Um, characterize all these things. Those of us that supposedly tweet more than we tithe and we, we post more than we pray as the spirit of fear. So the spirit of fear, that's, that's lumping, lumping all of these, um, Christians. These are Christians having these arguments and debates, lumping them all together as those that are the spirit of fear. They're, they're promoting the spirit of fear. Now listen to what he does with this. By the way, the spirit of fear, what is our God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, all sufficient word say? The spirit of fear doesn't come from God. So if somebody is peddling fear, where do they come from? So if you are posting on social media, stuff that he doesn't like, I guess, or stuff the platform doesn't like, you're, you're not fully on board with the way that they're trying to do um, this abuse reform and all of this. You come from the devil. That's how he's characterizing this. You come from the devil. You're an evil person. You're, you're a lost person, obviously, if you're coming from the devil. Um, you're, you're, when Jesus uh, uh, was rebuking the Pharisees and said, you were of your father, the devil, I guess that's, the, that's us. That's those of us who are debating and, ha- and, and have these discussions online, right? Right, Todd? Peddling the spirit of fear. Now, what is he doing right now? He's telling you to be afraid. He's telling you to be afraid of people online who are, who are saying things um, that, that, he, he disagrees with things that they shouldn't say things that cannot be um, controlled by the SBC platform. So, I mean, he, he indicting himself with this logic by saying, well, that's the spirit of fear. What is this? I mean, what is this that we're watching? Is this not, let me make you all afraid of online discussion of doctrine and theology and practice and whatnot. Are we going to continue to be shaped by divisive groups on social media? Well, you're, you're, you're not being divisive right now. I I think you are. I mean, this sounds divisive. And by the way, not all, not all divisiveness is bad. We're to rightly divide the word of truth. We divide truth from error. That's, that's something that we're all called to do as believers. So let's, let's not pretend anything that is characterized as divisive is automatically thumbs down. Tweets and blogs and videos and podcasts and cheaply made synodocs. So, so um, yeah, cheaply made synodoc. That's a, that's a knock against founders ministries. Might be a knock against enemies within the church. I'm not sure. Um, but he, he he throws these things out here as pejoratives. Well, if you if you blog, if you express uh, your view about something, if you tweet, if you if you have a podcast or something, I guess this would count. Um, these things are lumped in with the spirit of fear, which comes from the devil. And, 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 you know, that's the spirit of fear and you should be afraid of it. That's <laughs> of course the, the irony. Um, I've, I've skipped forward here in the, the speech. Some Baptists want to dwell on decline. Some say in this room that things aren't the way they used to be. 
So he uses a Southern accent, which he doesn't have, even though I guess he's, he was a sports reporter in Georgia and all that. He doesn't have a Southern accent, but he uses a Southern accent to, to, to do what? To mock the people in the convention. There were a lot of gentlemen. I mean, this is a convention in New Orleans. This is in the South. A lot of gentlemen. And, and the Southern Baptist Convention obviously is strong in the South in a way that it isn't in Colorado and, and, and some of the, uh, the Western and Northern states. Um, he uses the, the Southern accent to mock the people that got up in, in, uh, to microphones to make uh, motions and make points and things. A lot of guys got out there with Southern accents. A lot of guys got out there and said, you know, well, I'm, I'm David Morrill and I'm a messenger from, you know, that's how it sounded. Any problem with that at all. We all have different accents, different places we come from. It doesn't matter. But, but Todd's going to use it to, to mock. He's, he, and, and he is from the exact same camp, the exact same group of SBC institutionalists that will deride you all day long if you mock somebody. They think mocking is, is, a, is a high form of sin, unless it's Todd Unziger at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. I say that's fantastic! <laughs> he says, it's fantastic. Well, things aren't the way they used to be. I say that's fantastic. What, just change for change's sake is fantastic? It's, it's not if you're going the wrong direction. It's not, if, it's not if you're downgrading. It's just not. But, but to tie, all change is fine. And I understand we should unapologetically build consistency around doctrine. I don't think he understands it, but that's okay. Look, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, y'all, that's all I know. I started following Jesus in 2004. So I, I don't want to make too big of a point out of this, but I have seen this trend sometimes when, uh, when folks have, you know, they're, they're influential or they're good speakers or they're charismatic uh, personalities and things that come to Christianity, they come to faith in Christ, um, they, they, they start to confess Christ. Um, they make some of these errors. Uh, the um, requirements for an elder are that they should not be a new believer. You know, the Bible doesn't say a specific time frame, but I would argue that this is indicating a pattern of behavior uh, that is indicative of immaturity in the faith. And that time frame and, and how long that takes to, to work out can be different for everybody. But it is interesting to me if he says, well, the Baptist faith and message is all I know, and I started following Christ in 2004. I mean, praise God, that's a good thing. But the evidence we're seeing in this convention speech is um, a good deal, a great amount of spiritual immaturity. Certainly immaturity when it comes to thinking biblically, thinking critically, thinking categorically, using the brain God gave you in a way that would... I don't know, maybe not cause you to level ad hominem attacks against your fellow believers? Perhaps? You taught it to me. And I stand by that unwaveringly, but we should always be aware of the urge to purge. The urge to purge. That's just a catchphrase. It's bumper sticker theology. That's why it rhymes. It's the urge to purge. Uh, the, the urge, well, the Bible, and specifically... Uh, letters to the churches, um, the Pauline letters to the churches, uh, the pastoral epistles, 
um, put a lot of emphasis on purging false teachers. They put a lot of emphasis on purging false doctrine. We should be urged to purge such things. We should be. And, 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 and not that we should, should celebrate it on um, some sort of a flesh level, like we're, like we're happy in the flesh, but we do rejoice in the truth, right? We love, we, we love Jesus. We keep his commandments. Um, you know, D- David delighted in the law. King David delighted in the law. It was his, the, the law of the Lord um, is, is something we rejoice over. So yeah, when, when we purge falseness, when we, when we rightly divide truth from error, purge the error, um, we should be urging to do that. That should be a, that is a biblical motivation. It is righteous to want to purge bad doctrine, purge bad teaching. And if we're going to break fellowship with one another, then I pray we would do it in tears and not cheers. Tears and not cheers. There we go. More bumper sticker theology. Um, part of the and, and I mean I've been a musician my whole life um, in a variety of professional situations, as some of you know. And there is a psychological benefit to rhymes and music and things. They 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 lower your intellectual guard and increase your emotional response to something. That's the same reason that. Liberals use rhymes. Liberals use bumper sticker phrases and things like that because your your mind is drawn to the cleverness of the turn of phrase, the cleverness of the sound, rather than the actual meaning behind what's being said. You don't have to. A lot of the thinking is done for you. There's a conclusion. Your mind reaches a conclusion because the words rhyme. That's why he. That's why a lot of pastors use um, uh, acronyms and they they. They use um, alliteration in their sermons and things like that. They're trying to get you to accept, and sometimes it's good good stuff. I'm not saying it's all bad, but it is a rhetorical device used to lower your intellectual um, uh, lower your intellectual guard, cause you to be less discerning and critical about what you're hearing. The urge to purge, um, uh, tears, not cheers. You know, that's very common rhetorical devices used to make you accept something where if you thought about it, you might not actually accept it. Trevin Wax, one of our own, said short-lived will be the movement more passionate about hunting heretics than making converts. That sounds so pious, doesn't it? You know, you you shouldn't be hunting heretics. You should be making converts. Um. You, you, you know what uh, uh, gets in the way of conversion? What gets in the way of the truth? Heretics, false teaching, bad doctrine, false Jesuses, um, false belief about salvation. That you know, these two things aren't opposed to one another. Hunt, hunting heretics, which by the way is just a pejorative for discernment and 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 polemics and rightly dividing truth from error identifying false teachers, which the Bible very clearly commands and it requires of us to do is about making converts. You know, one of one, he, he talked a lot in this speech about unreached people groups, unreached people groups, people that hadn't heard about Jesus. Um, and it's true. That's a very, very clearly a mission field. You know what else is a mission field? Those that believe they have Jesus and don't those that believe 
that um, that they're actually believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they're putting their faith in their works. They are um, picking and choosing parts of God's word that they want to believe. They're not repenting of their sin. They're holding on to their sin. They're holding on to homosexuality. They're holding on to... Um, they're holding on to uh, their 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 immorality. They're holding on to um, their false belief about uh, what will get them to heaven. They place their they they say, "Well, I'm you know I'm a good person, so God will let me in." That that is a ripe mission field as well. And into that mission field go online discernment ministries and um, people that argue over doctrine and people that that are that are zealous for the truth of God's word desirous of getting it right. We, and we, we keep preaching this to each other all the time as Christians. We're constantly going back to the truth of God's word because we know that there are people in our midst who claim to be Christians. We think they're Christians, and yet they're not. And we see this all the time as, as people deconstruct their faith. They're practicing Christians, supposedly, and then all of a sudden they don't believe which of course means they, they never believed. But how important is it as someone is walking the Christian walk, and we don't know for sure that they're saved, we can't see into their heart, we continue to proclaim the truth to one another, we continue to sharpen one another, iron sharpening iron. We want to um, continue to test ourselves, continue to look for the fruit, look for belief. We want people to be saved. We want them to persevere and know persevering and doing all the good works and all that does not save you, but it is evidence of your salvation. And so we keep testing it. We keep testing one another. We keep, we keep proclaiming what we believe. We keep, keep proclaiming the, the, the more specific, deeper doctrines, the meat doctrines versus the milk doctrines. We keep proclaiming this stuff to one another as a way to uphold and help one another in our sanctification. Because we, we don't want somebody we believe is a Christian to seem like they have it, and then all of a sudden, um, years down the road, uh, we challenge them on something basic, and they don't believe what we believe. They believe in a different Jesus. They, they, they start expressing things that would very rightly be called heresy. They would be a heretic by the definition. We're not hunting for that, but in the process of, of sharpening one another, um, we, we come across these things. That's why we do it. And, and of course, we want to test ourselves as well. It's, it's, it's mutual submission in the body. But he doesn't seem to like that very much. You know, well, you can't hunt heretics. You need to make converts. Um, very often, they're one and the same. They're certainly related. And I'm afraid, judging by the way, some of you go to the mics over and over and over and over again and year after year. Yo, it's a business meeting, dude. The business meeting. They're, they're, they're trying to get in the weeds of the business processes of the organization, which, by the way, is not a church, and God doesn't need to do his work. Make sure, we, make sure we all know that. God does not need the Southern Baptist Convention. He does need the church. He commissioned the church. Um, he's building the church, but he doesn't need our prayer. He doesn't need protestia. He will do his work as he pleases. And you're posts on social media, I'm afraid that some in this room live more for the convention than they do for the mission. That's you. That's you. You are living more for the convention than the mission. This is defending the institution. I mean, you just pointed the finger and insulted people 
that are, you know, by their conscience, believe that, that, that what they're doing is the right thing going up to a mic and arguing over an issue. And again, you're not arguing the substance of the issue. You're just, you're just lambasting them for the fact that they, that they're actually trying to conduct business in the business meeting. It's very judgmental. And what if we took half of the amount of time tweeting and posting on Facebook and we started getting back to gospel sharing soul winning? This is, this, this is James Merritt 2.0. You remember that? Two years ago, uh, James Merritt stands in front of Nashville and says something along, I'm going to paraphrase, but something along the lines of, if we spent half the time uh, that, uh, talking about CRT, uh, if we spent half the time we talk about CRT out there proclaiming the gospel, we'd have saved the whole world by now. This is called playing the gospel card. Hey, anything you do that I don't like, I'm going to set it next to the gospel and say, what I don't like is invalid, is invalidated. You should not be doing it. You are in sin by doing that because it's not direct proclamation of the gospel. I mean, you could put anything up to that standard and uh, decry it as sinful. If, if I said, hey, you know, Todd, for every time you sit down to have a meal, every time you sit down to have dinner, you're not proclaiming and you're not proclaiming the gospel uh, you're in sin, buddy, and you clearly don't care about the gospel as much as you care about filling your belly, do you? Like, it's ridiculous. And, and, and yet this passes the smell test for a lot of messengers, which, I, I mean, I hate to say it, that's, that's unfortunate because if you step back and don't allow yourself to be gaslit and emotionally manipulated, you can see exactly how deceptive this really is. If you spent the time that you spent on social media out there proclaiming the gospel, well, then you'd really be doing something for the kingdom. That's what he's claiming here. I don't know why I said that with a Southern accent. He doesn't have that. I <laughs> but the playing the gospel card is what this is. It's, and it's, it's not dissimilar to playing the abuse survivor card or the race card. The, the technique is the same. But this one is more, more far-reaching and probably sometimes harder for people to pick up on. But this idea that I'm going to take whatever you're doing I don't like, name it, whatever you're doing that I don't like, and I'm going to say, hey, that's not the gospel. Therefore, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's juvenile. Logically speaking, it's juvenile. And people are cheering. What if we spent half the amount of time reading and reacting to the daily airing of grievance Festivus-style posts? Uh -huh, it's so funny. He made a Seinfeld reference. He made an ancient Seinfeld reference. It's Festivus. Ha ha ha. You're airing your grievances. You know, any, anytime you, you, you express something that you disagree with, well, it's just, it's just like Festivus. It's ridiculous. Just like, just like that Seinfeld episode. And we got serious about making disciples. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? Serious about making disciples. You realize that people airing grievances on social media that might be, um, I don't know, doctrinal, maybe identifying false doctrine, identifying something that is, is falsely taught. And by the way, read the new Testament. False doctrine is everywhere. False teachers are everywhere. This hasn't changed. This hasn't changed. How much of the new Testament is specifically talking about, um, false doctrine, identifying false doctrine, protecting the church from false teaching, false practice, false belief. It's, it's all over the place. And, and so in doing that, that is part of the discipling process, by the way, 
discussing doctrine, sharpening one another is part of the discipling process. So when he says, well, you need to spend all your time that you're spending on social media, uh, that's bad, but because you know, we, we need to get serious about making disciples. Uh, we are serious about making disciples. That's why we take the Bible so seriously. Disciples are not made on, on a random standard. The disciples of Jesus Christ are discipled by the word of Jesus Christ, by the Bible, by sound doctrine. I mean, how you don't know this, being in vocational ministry as long as you've been, it just, um, it's, yeah, it's sad. Why are we letting our convention get sidetracked from preaching Jesus? Because we listen to these guys who, put away, who, who forget what Ephesians 4 says, to put away all bitterness and short temper and anger and slander and shouting. So we, we listen to guys that, that forget that Ephesians 4 says not to do those things. Therefore, obviously, these guys are slanderers and they're bitter and they're angry. Da, 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 da. He, he preaches angrily you know, at, at, the, uh, at the convention. Um, yeah, you, you know that the meeting itself is not designed. It, it's not intended for direct proclamation of the gospel and, and church ministry. It's not designed for evangelism. It's designed to make sure that we're doing things right as far as the ministerial cooperation. It's a business meeting so that we equip churches and missionaries and seminaries and educational institutions to do that work. This is not the work. This is the organizational part of getting that work done. You realize that, right? Being on mission from this day to that day means that we show and we share the love of Jesus and I pray that everyone in New Orleans, that's what they would think about when they think about our Baptist family. It sounds so pious, doesn't it? You see, he isn't some tribal deity. He isn't some tradition that we have on Sundays for the Southern Fried Pharisees. The Southern Fried Pharisees, again, turning around and insulting Southern people. Hey, you guys at the, you guys at the, at the microphones will keep coming up again and again and again that I'm going to mock you with a Southern accent. You guys are the Southern Fried Pharisees. And some of you who like to shout Soli Deo Gloria will never know. Now, what does that mean? Soli Deo Gloria for the glory of God alone. One of the five solas of the Reformation. And then he claims this about. That God's glory is only truly experienced when it comes from every nation and every tribe and tongue on earth. Well, that's not happening right now. So you're saying that um, God's glory and, and experienced is a, is a, you know, um, a troublesome way to characterize it to begin with. But are you saying that God's glory is, is not found unless it's coming from all, you know, that we're in the eschaton and it's coming from all nations and all, all tribes all over the world? That's not happening right now. And yet, um, God's glory, we are still doing things for God's glory in our local contexts. This, this is just more um, uh, shaming that he's doing here. And God's going to destroy racial pride. That's what this tells us. Some of you are like, oh, here he goes, getting all woke. Yeah. <laughs> No, there Todd goes mocking Southerners again. And you notice he put this right after, put this right after saying God will destroy racial pride. What's he saying? He's saying that a lot of you Southern, Southern Baptists are racist. 
if you if you argue that um against wokeism if you argue against that if you if you think that those things are wrong if you think that it's wrong to apply justice to the collective rather than the individual if you think that um uh, well you're you're probably just a racist southerner there he goes again getting all woke as he as he does this mocking accent y'all this isn't woke this is wonderful False dilemma. And God cares about numbers. He cares about numbers so much, he's got a book called Numbers. That's not clever. One day, being around the throne. No more tears. No more sin. No more sickness and death. No more factions. No more exaggerations. No more fear-mongering. No more divisive podcasts. No more abuse. (laughs) So, you notice he lumps all these things, so it's sin and sickness and death and divisive podcasts as divisive podcasts are they're, they're, they're analogous in to, to Don Unziger. Um, they're analogous to sickness and death and sin. No more racial pride. And they're analogous to racial pride. No more systemic injustice. No more, no more systemic injustice. And, and you wonder why we say there he goes again, getting all woke. Yeah, dude, that's the definition of wokeness. When you when you claim that injustice happens on the basis of a of a person's um, demographic identification rather than on on an individual level, which by the way is how God will hold everybody accountable as individuals, not as not as a collective, but systemic injustice that that that's CRT, that's wokeness. Yeah. He is saying those things exist, and they're just as bad, by the way, as divisive podcasts, sickness and death, and sin. More gender confusion. No more politics. No more lawsuits. No more amendments. No. No more lawsuits. Again, taking another poke at Mike Stone, and no more amendments. Taking a poke at the business of the Southern Baptist Convention. As as they work things out, you, you realize what he's saying here: arguing over doctrine, or arguing over procedure, arguing over um, exactly how to conduct this parachurch organization, missional organization known as the Southern Baptist Convention, is analogous to all these other bad things. That's a bad thing. Amending things, making motions, doing all this is a bad thing. Something that shouldn't be. More disfellowshipping, my fellow Baptists, from this day. No more disfellowshipping. Again, lumping in. So the disfellowship of churches that are um, disobeying Scripture, acting against the Word of God, that's a bad thing. We shouldn't be disfellowshipping. To that day, may we be a people who are on mission together. You are on mission for me. You are on mission for my wife. Brothers and sisters, may from this day to that day, May we be a people who are on mission together. You, you notice the, um, the commonality of the language here? Did Rick Warren not say in his, tweet, in his incessant tweeting, it's common mission, not common confession. Mission, not confession. This is the same thing that Todd Unziger of Summit Church is saying to the to the uh the the convention here it's common mission it's mission i mean he just ripped apart for for a good portion of his speech people that actually want to talk about doctrine confession what we believe i mean yeah he 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 offered lip service to it it's 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 it, i'm fine with that i'm fine with you know common common confe- you know common confession but 
you can't find common confession without discussion and argument, argumentation and going back and forth. So where are we going to get this common confession from? How are we going to work this out? Well, you can't do it on your divisive podcast. Can't do it on your social media. If, if you're tweeting more than he thinks you should tweet or posting more than he thinks you should post, well, you're probably not praying or tithing. I mean, you, you notice the gambit, the, the, the bait and switch that's being done here is he says, it's about mission. Oh, but what's that mission based off of? Well, nothing that you can d- debate here. Nothing you can actually deal with um, by any other means than apparently us telling you what it is from the platform. Oh, and by the way, we've, we've commissioned a task force. Now we're going to soon commission a task force of Bar- Barber handpicked selection that's going to tell you what friendly cooperation really means and what it means to actually be in friendly cooperation with it because y'all got it wrong. You screwed up. You screwed up. I mean, you kicked out churches for disobeying the Bible and that's not really the, the Bible is not the focus here. Just the, just the mission. We're just supposed to do stuff. And I, it, it doesn't matter if you're doing stuff based off of a common confession or not. Uh, the confession should be as watered down as it needs to be in order for us to all stay on the same team doing the business of ministry. Anyway, I think I've, I think I've made my point here. Thank you so much for uh, watching, listening to Protesting tonight. Uh, we'll we'll keep talking about some of the issues with the SBC 2023 going forward. Um, pray for uh, traveling mercies for myself as I am uh, out of town, traveling around for about the next week and a half. Um, and some of you probably know kind of what that is. Others of you don't. I can't really say it because I might get in trouble. Um, <laughs> I probably said too much. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I will be in touch, though. I'm not I'm not you know, going to another planet. So just that there probably won't be a program next week. I'll still be around. Reach out to me if you have questions. Um, thank you so much, patrons. Everybody have a good night. And as always, Semper Reformandus.